Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So I think saying, is this a hell yes? Like, I've been invited to do this thing, and I'm like, eh, is it a hell yes? No, if it's not, then you don't have to do it. Relieve yourself of that. Good movement, and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Laura podcast. I'm Laura Hyman, the founder of Movement by Laura. I'm a physical therapist, a yoga teacher, and studio owner, a movement enthusiast, And today I'm thrilled to have my partner in crime, Kristen Fletcher, with me. We recorded this actually as our first podcast. So some of the stuff we talk about, I will touch on in other podcasts, but it was our very first shot at it. So I hope you enjoy how we talk about all the things that have inspired me. And she asked me questions about my own venture into yoga and into the business world of yoga and my mission. So please enjoy my talk with Kristen Fletcher. Today, I have a really, really special guest, my dear friend and partner in crime, Kristen Fletcher. Hi, Laura. Hi. Thank you so much for having me over to your sauna. I know. I feel so honored. <laughs> I know. I feel like we should be in our bathing suits. <laughs> we should be. I mean, they don't know that we're not. I know. For those of you at home, we do the podcasting out of my sauna. It's a infrared sauna that's supposed to be really wonderful for you. And I wish I used it more, but now I'm using it for my podcast. So it's it's getting used. It's getting its use. It is. So <laughs> Kristen's great. here today uh, just to interview and ask me questions so that um, I can better identify what everybody wants to hear about. Yeah, so I'm really honored to be here and to be someone who can ask these questions because I know from being on your trainings, being around people at your studio, and also seeing all of your amazing followers on Instagram and all of their questions that people have so much curiosity around your life, how you got to where you are right now, why you're creating Movement by Lara, and you know your whole mission in general. So I really want to start it off. Let's go back to the beginning. Oh boy. <laughs> I want to know how you found yoga. Oh, how I found yoga. I found yoga after I moved up to New Jersey. After graduate school, I moved up here and I did not know anyone. I moved up here with a boyfriend at the time who is now a very good friend of mine. You have met him actually, Paul. Oh yeah. Very and, nice. um, shout out. Yeah. Shout out, Paul. And he was busy working and I had really no one I knew 
you know, I knew here. So I joined a running club because I was a long distance runner for a long time and ran marathons and races. And at this running club, they offered a yoga session free. And I thought, yeah, let me go. I'll stretch, you know, I'll do some yoga. I, I really knew nothing about yoga besides our kind of perceived notions of people sitting around chanting and blah, blah, blah. So I went and it was a disciple of um, Patabi Joyce, Ashtanga yoga. She was calling it power yoga. And I mean, this was 1995. I was hooked. So I came back from that and looked everywhere um, near near me and there wasn't any really yoga happening. Some, some slower moving and more of the meditative stuff, but I really wanted this power yoga thing because it, it just reminded me of how I felt when I was a dancer and moving through space as a runner, it just kind of combined those beautiful expressions. And so I started just doing stuff on my own. I, I went and bought a lot of books. I bought some at the time VHS tapes and, and started from there. And I just, it, it's only grown on me. Like it was just like captured me from the beginning. And I think that happens with a lot of people. And that's what I love is like, let's always go back to the, the reason why we started yoga whenever we falter or question like what we're doing, it's like, it's, it really, it, there's just a magic, I call it the magic elixir. We can't quite explain it because it's, um, it, it has an impact on every system in our body. So, uh, that's where it all started. That's awesome. Were you already a physical therapist by then? I was, I had just graduated from PT school and I came up, um, and so literally a new grad and a new PT. And so it kind of, it was interesting because I think I was beginning the roots of both of those at the same time, my experience of being a physical therapist and um, of being a yoga teacher. Because honestly, I started teaching within about six months because I was like, man, nobody's doing this. And I want to, I want to show other people. So I just, I, I was experienced enough of, um, of teaching in, in the movement way, because I had taught aerobics, I taught step aerobics, I taught hip hop. Um, I had done dancing. So I didn't feel at all like this wasn't something I could do. I just was like, let's do this. Nobody else is doing it. So I wanted to bring it to others and yeah, that's how it went. So I was learning yoga and learning how to be a physical therapist kind of simultaneously. simultaneously. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's very interesting. So how did that feel looking at yoga I mean, as a new yoga student, mm -hmm. as an actual beginner, because you always have a beginner's mindset. Yes. Yeah. But you're an actual beginner and you're a new physical therapist. So what was that like? Kind of, can you take us to one of those yoga classes? You know, those first ones? Yeah. I mean, I would say just in the first five to 10 years, I actually kind of compartmentalized them for a while because I was really learning yoga. So I kind of had my yoga eyes on there and, and I was I don't want to say believing, but I was taking in and absorbing what I was being taught from the books or the videos or a few classes that I could take here and there. And as an, as a beginner, I was approaching it like, I don't know this, somebody else knows it better, so I'm going to do it. And PT, similarly, I was learning some really more advanced physical therapy techniques um, about neural development and things like that. So I was taking that in, but I really had them in, in kind of two different boxes to begin with. And I think it was because I was a beginner's mind in both that I didn't see any parallels at that time. Got it. So when did you start <laughs> really bringing those worlds together? That's actually kind of the evolution of this whole mission, I think, is when I really started to put my PT hat on. Um, I would say I would pro I'd probably been practicing classical vinyasa for about five years. And I was noticing that I wasn't uh, changing a lot in my practice. And 
it's not even like, oh, I need to be able to do a forearm balance or something. It was just more, I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't feeling any different. In fact, sometimes I felt like I couldn't walk the next day or my shoulders were feeling irritated, like rotator cuff tendon syndrome thing. And, um, and at the same time, I was working with stroke patients and I was doing a lot of stuff on the floor. I was doing a lot of developmental sequence, which is a very core thing in neurodevelopmental treatment. When somebody has had a stroke and they cannot you know, move a, a limb, you actually get them to weight bear to get sensory and motor function back into that. It's stimulated through the brain and then the muscles respond because there's so many parts of the brain that we're not even tapping into. So I started to like see like, wow, I'm really improving my, these very weakened, impaired patients of mine by doing kind of this kind of quote unquote basic work on the floor. And my own practice wasn't really changing. And I felt actually I could be causing some injuries. So I started doing some of the stuff I was doing with my PT patients, like quadruped and being on their stomach and coming into half kneel and working on their glutes and bridge and all this stuff. And I, my practice started to change really quickly. And when I say change, I mean, I felt good. Like I didn't wake up feeling sore. I remember the feeling of like one day waking up and uh, um, before this thinking like, is it, is it a good thing that I'm feeling really like tired in my body after I've been doing yoga? And what I realized is when you're more balanced and doing it from this kind of reset, reset and reestablishing movement patterns, I felt refreshed, not tired. I felt balanced and I didn't feel sore or achy, you know, and this was um, some number of years ago. So I shouldn't have been feeling achy then. Uh, so yeah, that's when I started it. And it, I really noticed the difference. And so I started kind of playing with um, teaching some of my students at that time. And they were like, what are you doing? Like, why are we starting off on the floor? Aren't we supposed to start with sun salutations? And I was like, just trust me, just try this. And, you know, like two months later, they're like, Laura, why doesn't everybody start like this? This is amazing. Like, it's really that fast because our bodies want to reset it. We want to balance. They want to move in that in that way. Right. Yeah. So your students. Yes. They were you've always kind of had a little bit of a cult following. Um, for anyone who hasn't been to her studio in Princeton, people will only practice with Laura when they start taking Laura's classes. It's once you go Laura, you never go back. And I've noticed that there's a nickname that she has around here and it's Yoga Mama. <laughs> so I'm curious, how did that begin? Because I know that you had a home studio to start with. Mm -hmm. You currently have a home studio when you want to, but for right. privates, but even before that, you had a home studio. Yeah. So can you tell everyone about that? I can, because right around the time I had been, before I kind of started this new phase of, of my yoga practice, um, pregnant and I had a baby, my, my Olivia, and I was teaching at a fitness club that had a kind of its own little yoga section. It was really beautiful and a lot of yoga people there. And but it was just a, too much of a drive from my house, plus the class, to do that with a very young, like, newborn. And so I went back a few times after she was born, and then I just couldn't do it because she was nursing, and it was just all this stuff. So I stopped teaching there, and immediately a couple of my students contacted me and were like, Laura, uh, what, 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 where are you going? Where are you? And I'm like, I'm just home. And they're like, can you do privates? And I was like, oh, okay, sure. I can figure this out, actually, because we had moved into this house that so amazingly— coincidentally or not, had this little art studio connected to its garage. And my husband works from home and, and he was planning to convert that into an office. And I was like, well, now I want some private yoga people. And he's like, okay, well, we'll just share it. 
So we shared this space and we started, I started like a home studio practice. I could fit um, five people in there max. And so it started with just a few people and then it grew within the next few years. And then um, we built another house. And in this house, we intentionally built a bigger studio. And so when I moved into my house that I'm living in now, this eco-friendly house, we built a studio and I could fit 10 people in. And so once I doubled the potential, um, it really grew and expanded. And then that got to be kind of crazy. And I realized like people would say when I would go out of town, they're like, wait, I don't want to go anywhere else. I feel like I'm going to get injured. And, and I thought, why? That's a terrible thing to think. Like, that's a terrible fear to have that you're going to go to a yoga class and get injured. And so I thought, well, maybe I just need to teach the body to teachers. And I was also teaching the, the style that I've now created. I was teaching it. And I thought maybe I just need to teach people how to teach from this perspective because it's helped me so much. It's helped my students. So that's when I decided to create a teacher training. And then I thought, well, if I do that, I'm going to have to have a studio. And so then I opened my first public studio. And then now we're on to our second public studio because it's bigger. So yeah, it's been like a great evolution. And and I have incredible, incredible students, incredible teachers who are so passionate and we just love each other. We're a family. And so I'm their, I'm their yoga mama. I love the title. Yeah. That's really beautiful. So your teachers who Mm -hmm. train with you, how did they find you in the first place? I mean, I know how I found you. Right. I met you in Aruba right. at Rachel's training. Yes. And, um, but people who train with you in Princeton, how do they find you? That's a good question. I think they originally found me. It was all, everything was word of mouth. I mean, that was, I think one, one reason I have been able to create and build this wonderful community is so much of it is word of mouth and knowing very little about marketing. When I started all this, I didn't have a business background at all. What I've heard universally um, from one marketing person to another is word of mouth is the key. Because if someone loves you and they want to share you with someone else what you're doing, then that is the best form of advertising. So I would say probably a majority of my teachers that have come through my training, had it's been word of mouth. Um, I wasn't in, on social media for so many years. I mean, this has been a very recent um, trend and it's very incredibly helpful because that just like gets out the word that much quicker and more successfully. But uh, locally, it was it was I think mostly word of mouth. That's awesome. So these teachers, I mean, they rally behind you, and a lot of it has to do with your mission. Mm-hmm. How did you find your mission? And your mission has a lot to do with your purpose. Mm-hmm. So I'm asking like a really big question here. I know. But oh. how did you hone in on your mission? And can you tell people a little bit about your mission? Yes. I mean, my mission is, it's large, but it's also simple in a lot of ways. It's kind of peeling back all this external BS that we place upon our existence. Like what we think is going to make us happy, um, what we purchase that we think is going to make us happy. And when it really comes down to it is, what are we doing with our lives and how do we want to impact the world around us? And it can be a small world. You don't have to go like global right away. It can be like, how are you living your life day in and day out? And I think yoga more than anything teaches us, or I hope in my mission is to really put forth that kind of query is like, how can we be better in our daily lives? How can we feel better? And we have to take care of ourselves first, because if we kind of shove down our own feelings and our martyrs, that's actually doing no good for anybody. Um, if we actually take care of ourselves and, and kind of move through our own stuff, 
um, examine it and decide that we're not going to be chained to it or be enslaved by whatever we think um, are our blockages, then we can be better and we can be freer. And then ultimately the biggest mission is how can we serve others? I mean, I think no matter what, I always say to people, um, including myself, if you want to get out of your own way, be of service because you will quickly forget about your own troubles, the tiny little troubles that we get caught up in that, again, are kind of like storylines. It isn't to minimize suffering uh, um, that we have. We're going to have that. That's part of the human experience. But we have to be able to move past our own kind of um, self-involved needs. And I think the, the higher mission is to be of service to others. And knowing that we're at our best and we feel at our best when we do that, we have to always, always fuel that, fuel our own tank, because then we can give. I used to have a saying, if um, if mom is happy, everybody's happy. And I think that's just such a great thing because women in particular often put themselves on the bottom of the food chain. They really put themselves last. Um, as a caretaker, it's part of our culture. It's such a norm. We don't even know it, you know? And, and women, um, I, I, from the beginning, I've always demanded the same that my husband would demand, and it shouldn't be any different. I should be able to work. I should be able to get help with the children. I should be able to get help with the household. I should be able to exercise. I should be able to take care of myself. I should be able to go and go away for two days and, and do whatever I want. You know, it's, we have to demand that of ourselves and of the people that we surround ourselves with. And then we have to have a higher calling. So my higher calling is compassion for all. And I think for, somebody's agreeing with me. <laughs> I mean, compassion for all is, sounds like such a hard thing. And yet it's so easy. Like if we can look at every single living being as an extension of ourselves and how we want to treat ourselves and the people that we love, we should be able to treat every being in that same with that same regard. So it's big. It's a big mission, but it's actually easy if we really peel away all the stuff that doesn't make us happy and go down to the essence, which is when we feel strong and powerful and connected to who we are and who we want to be, we can be that person. So I bet a lot of people agree with you mm -hmm. in general on what you're saying with everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, but in practice, it can be a lot harder. Yes. How can people begin to get back down to that essence, say no to things that don't make them happy, put boundaries up, mm -hmm. say what they want, say no to things? What are you? What do you do to do those things? I remember a couple years ago, uh, one of my friends who goes on a lot of my retreats was going through a hard time, and then she said, "You know, something that she had read, and that she she said, you know, you've said this, but not in this exact way." She said it really resonated with me, and I, this has been my kind of purpose for this year is to always question, like, is this a hell yes? And so. That's the bottom line. Like I've said it in different ways, but I think that's the best way to say it is, is like, is this a hell yes? I just went shopping with my son the other day and he needed some stuff for school. We were putting on some pants and um, he was putting on pants and he said, um, what do you think? And I was like, they're fine. Do you like them? And he said, mm. and I said, well, is it a, and he's like, no, it's not. Cause he knew I was going to say, is it a hell yes? It's, it's such a funny little thing to ask if you're purchasing something, but it's, it's really powerful. Like, is this person a hell yes? Are they supporting you? Is this job a hell yes? Knowing that not not you know you're not going to have a hundred percent great days at at your work, right? I, I'm not um, I'm I'm not idealistic enough to believe that everybody should love every moment of their job. But overall, is it is it in line with who you are and what you want to be contributing to? 
or is it giving you money to be able to contribute to the things that you want and that there's a good balance in that? So I think saying, is this a hell yes? Like, I've been invited to do this thing and I'm like, eh, is it a hell yes? No, if it's not, then you don't have to do it. Relieve yourself of that. And then always, again, if you have that greater mission and it doesn't have, for me, it's for me, it's kindness to animals because I feel like they're, they're such profound, incredible systematic suffering. They've been um, subjugated for so many um, so many years and they need a voice because they obviously don't speak our language. So we humans have done the most crime to them. So we need to be, I need to be the voice of the humans to say, stop doing this. Um, there are other ways to live your life without contributing to that suffering. So for me, it's really clear. I wake up and everything I think about um, at some at some subconscious level is even if this is hard, this mother cow has it harder. So I'm going to do this because it, in the end, it will benefit her or it will benefit, you know, um, someone else. So I feel like if there's whatever it is for you, it could be like you want to stop poverty or the environmental degradation or crime against children. I mean, all of it, it's all amazing. We should be really participating in as many things, but what is your calling? I think we all have our own calling and our own kind of heartstring that is really plucked and, 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 resounds in our spirit and so animal suffering is for me um, the big thing and I would just say don't do things that blur that or um, that it all mute that and so and do the things that make you happier give you more energy and and also knowing that there's some things you just have to do that you might not love to do but at the end it's part of the part of part of life yeah and um, you know we're we are inherently compassionate people mm -hmm. when we're born. Um, some of us kind of lose it along the way. Um, but you've maintained it pretty solidly throughout childhood, even in many ways. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your childhood and how that's contributed to the, to that calling? Yes. Especially through your parents yes. and your brothers. Yes. Yeah. So I'm one of four kids. I have an older brother and I'm a triplet. I have two identical um, brothers who are my age. And I grew up in the South and I grew up eating meat. I grew up eating animals and animal products in pretty much every form and almost all of my meals. It's very, it's, it's the cultural norm there for sure. Um, but I remember having moments, I mean, we always had animals. My mom loves animals. My dad loves animals as well, but my mom's very vocal about it. And we always had animals. We always um, were adopting animals and she would work on different projects for the, with the local animal groups from as long as I can remember. And, but my dad is also very compassionate in his own way and, and quieter. I, I remember a time, I think I told you the story where we lived across from a pond and these boys were taking frogs and just throwing them up in the air and watching them land on the ground. And, and I think they were thinking this was funny. And my dad just walked over and said to them, well, why would you want to hurt that little frog? And they just stopped in their tracks. Like it was like, he didn't berate them. He just pose the question and, and it ju they just froze. And because I could see how they took that in as like, whoa, why would I want to hurt this frog? And so I think you need somebody to be like, well, why would you want to do this? I think you, sometimes you just need that light switch turned on. And so I had moments of those sparks for many, many years because of the way my parents, my dad was very compassionate. He's a doctor. He would talk for hours on the phone with patients, which is something that's really unheard of now. I mean, rare. so very rare. He's an orthopedic surgeon. People would call up and they would really be telling him about his their woes with his low back pain or this or that. And he would just sit there and listen. And I 
think I took a lot of that in, seeing like how healing it is just to be heard. Yeah. You know, my mom's like, Larry, we got to get you going. And he's just sitting there talking and listening and listening. And and I was really um, moved by that, even though I didn't understand it fully. I think as a young kid, I, I saw how powerful that is, the art of listening and how people need to be heard. They're hurt. And sometimes they all, all you need to do is listen. So I had a lot of really, both my parents are just amazing human beings and, and such great um, kind of mentors of, of, of kindness and, and compassion. And then my brothers, I had a couple of moments, uh, you know, when I was eating like fried chicken, okay? You know, that's a Southern thing. And seeing my dog over in the corner and like tearing into this uh, fried chicken and pulling like the skin off and like having this like, what the F? I'm like eating this this animal, dead animal, and there's my beloved dog. It just, I could feel the moral disconnect there. And it, and, um, and I had this, like, I put that somewhere in my cellular memory, even though I continued to eat animals for a year, three years after that, because that was probably like around eight years old. And then around um, 15 or 16, my brothers came home one day and they just said, uh, they were really the start of it. I can't even take um, credit for that. My triplet brother said, I don't want to eat animals anymore. And they just like cold turkeys became vegetarian. So my mom and I both became vegetarian with them. My um, And she began to make, and she would say she's not a great cook. She's a, a very, you know, I would say basic cook, but she, she really looked up recipes for hummus. I mean, this was like before hummus was all over. Like you can, you couldn't buy hummus anywhere. She was making hummus. She was making- No whole foods. No whole foods. <laughs> no. Piggly Wiggly, you know, stuff like that in the South. And you could buy, you could buy pork rinds, <laughs> but no hummus. Oh. So my mom was making hummus and she was making bean sprouted sandwiches. And she was just, it was great. She was really, she was making tofu lasagna. I mean, stuff that like was just not, I don't even tell you how long ago this was, but it wasn't, it was just definitely not the norm by any means. So and I was vegetarian for many, many years and kind of felt really good about that. And But I remember being at a fur protest one time. I was in high school and you know, holding up signs and and someone drove by and they said, yeah, but what about your shoes? And I was like, what? What about my shoes? And I just had this moment. I'm like, huh. But I didn't think anything more about it. And now I look back and I'm like, dude, that person was talking about leather. Like you're protesting fur. Like, so I had many of my own hypocrisies. Like, that's what's so crazy is even as a vegetarian, I was, there's so much hypocrisy I felt with that. And I knew it at a gut level. It didn't sit with me. So until I became vegan, which, and people will say, oh, I'm vegan must be hard. My goodness, it was the easiest thing I've ever done. It's like freeing the chains of, chains of hypocrisy. All the kind of like, you know, lines we draw. Well, I could protest fur, but I can wear leather shoes, you know? I could um, not eat veal, but I can eat cheese, even though they're completely linked. You know, it was just, um, it was amazing and freeing. So it's, it's what I always want to tell people is I had my own path too. You, it, you have your own path. And I like what I wish that I had learned earlier. Of course, my kids are vegan since birth. I think what the, what is, this is the most amazing gift I could ever have given them because they never had to go through any of that kind of like weird, like, disconnect like that, that all of us have to, um, when we're raised in this culture of, of, um, enslaving animals and eating them. Yeah. I had to go through it and I'm vegan now. I was vegetarian for years leading up to that about seven years before I became vegan after meeting Laura and finally (laughs) realizing that it's a lot easier and she's right. It is, um, 
it's just easier to not have to draw those moral lines. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to what your dad kind of taught you because it's actually a really key thing that a lot of yoga teachers try to learn later on and it's holding space Mm. and being present with other people. And it's something that I've seen you do so well. On my yoga teacher training, there were 51 women and every single person felt heard and seen and you gave every single person so much of your time and heart. Mm. And if anyone reaches out to you, they get some kind of love from you. And it's um, it's so rare mm. and um, it's such a special quality. So I'm curious how you feel when you get all of these messages or you get all of these questions from people. For some people, that's like, oh my gosh, that's just so draining. I don't know how you do it all. And somehow you are filled up by this. Can you talk about that? Yes, thank you. That was so beautiful. I mean, I would say that um, I I think what I I think the word is, and it's such a social media word now, but I would have used this word many years ago before social media is it's engagement. I mean, I think we need to be engaged in life, and there's ways to do it. And there's like sometimes people aren't wanting to be as engaged with other people because it drains them, and I I get that. Um, but I think if you are really clear in your own uh, mission or your own life and your purpose, like then you, I just feel engaged by people. I want to, I want to, I, we are helping each other. It's, I, I listen and I'm, I'm really moved by what you said, but I'm as, I am as into it and as love, I'm loving everybody as much as I feel like they love me. You know what I mean? It's like a real exchange of humanity. So I feel like what I might do well, and this is definitely watching my dad for sure, is is just um, meeting people where they are and ho- you know holding them out, like letting them know they are whole, they are good, and I'm here for them. I don't, I don't by any means have the answer, but I know I can at least listen, and I can at least offer what has worked for me. And that's the other thing is I do have you know, some experience of, of life and living. And I've also been in those places of much more self-involvement and much more doubt. And I know that's sometimes is part of the path, but I want to tell people like you are, you're not alone and you can feel better. Like we, the potential for growth and for change is infinite. It really is. And so I just get, I get very, um, I only get upset when I don't feel like I can get back to everybody that I'd like to. So sometimes that feels draining only in the sense that I'd like to, but I feel fueled by engagement, by, by being involved. And, um, I think we're all uplifting each other as much as someone might get some, um, some kind of epiphany or improvement in their life from me. I get it from them as well. Like we are connected truly. Wow. It's interesting because I see, um, earlier in our conversation, you were saying how, it is important to set boundaries about things that you will and won't do or your day or your expectations with people. But then when it actually comes to interacting with people, it's like walls down. Yeah, I think that's true. I really think it's true. It's, 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 um, I will go to whatever means I can to help people and to help animals. And I think that, and to help the environment, I mean, all of it, but I think it's also important to know, like I can do that well if I take care of myself. And if I don't, I don't feel that way. I don't, I feel like all I want to do is hang around and do nothing. 
And nobody wants to feel like a piece of lint on the couch. You no. know, it's just like, ugh, that doesn't feel good. So I know pretty well the things that fuel me and I do them and I do them without um, excuses. It's a discipline, but it also is, it's, it's a feedback loop. I've developed a very positive feedback loop. And that's what I also hope to impart to people is you can train yourself to treat yourself better. It, it really is a training. And once you get that feedback loop in, um, I mean, this has been proven by science, but we know it intuitively as well. Like you want more of it and then you have more energy and then you have more energy to give. That's beautiful. I have another question here. Okay. What, um, how would you say that you, this, uh, the CD player in here is really I know. I know. having fun. Cultivating discipline is a difficult thing for us to do, especially because of social media often yeah. we're mm-hmm. scrolling through Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious what tips you might have for people who want to invite more discipline into their life. That's a great question. Um, discipline is a muscle. <laughs> you have to practice it. You have to strengthen it. So I think you have to have some kind of um, non-negotiables, you know, like I'm going to do these things and then I can, you know, hang out on the couch, scroll social media, blah, 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 whatever that, that are kind of less impactful for you, but not necessarily bad. They're, they're kind of benign, but they're, they could, they're not good. They're non-benign if, if that's all you do. Right. So I think you have to develop, um, the, like what you, you have to move your body. I mean, movement is everything it is uh, for anything to move. Smart old Einstein said it for anything to move, um, for anything to change, you have to move, you have to move. So you have, that's a non-negotiable. You have to move before you do anything that's kind of like benign, but useless in a way, whether it's write sticky notes up, put them everywhere, put, you know, have a buddy, like sometimes people, if they're really feeling like they don't have the willpower, get somebody else involved, whether it's a partner, whether it's a friend, whether it's a parent, someone who holds you accountable, because that will help you. That will help you build your willpower. And that will help you develop that discipline muscle. But just like any other muscle, you have to work it. It will, it will, it will just wither away if you don't work it. So you have to decide um, that it is worth it because it is. And so figure out what, and, and don't, if, you know, if walking 20 minutes a day is torture for you, but you love biking, then bike, do something that is joyful, right? You know, it's not like, oh my God, yeah. I got to do this. And I hate it. Like there's something, I had one woman once come to me about eight years ago and she's like, Laura, I want to tell you, I'm an intellectual. All I want to do is sit on a couch all day. I don't want to move. I don't want to move. And I was like, oh boy, this is going to be my hardest person. And um, it was in some ways because that was, she was, uh, she was older at that point, you know, she was um, not 20. So she was, she had had this in her mind, in her like brain messaging for so long. I'm not a mover. I'm an intellectual. And there was a lot of stuff we had to move through literally. So for me, sometimes it was like just getting her through like our preset, a part of our class, like just doing some work on the floor doing some abdominals, trying to figure out like how to spark that. It started small. So that would be the other big tip is just because it seems overwhelming doesn't mean you don't need to start, but start small. Because if you start too big and you're just not used to it, you it won't necessarily help you because you might not continue it. And then it'll be a negative feedback loop. So create a positive feedback loop by doing something small. And then eventually that will become not only bigger, but more habitual. 
Yeah. And we all want to feel successful. So yes, yes, like, exactly. Setting it small first. Totally. That's not setting tell, really yeah. unrealistic expectations. Yeah. 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 That's why New Year's resolutions. I mean, that's why they, people laugh at them so much, but they, they really don't tend to work because they're so ambitious. And then when we fail, we, it, it like does, it, we go back like, you know, twice as much. It's like four steps forward, 10 <laughs> steps back. <laughs> it's really bad. So true. So small is better than nothing, right? That makes sense. Can you tell me a little bit about um, your walks with your dogs? Because mm, yeah. that's um, more taking it from like your big story to the more day-to-day life. Yeah. Um, it's such an important ritual. And it's, I would put it in the ritual category more than discipline. Because mm-hmm. it's like, it's really... It is a ritual. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't have dogs for many, many years. I didn't have dogs until three years ago. So I did other, I mean, I was doing yoga and I was walking on my own some, but I would walk with music and I would, I would, I would not often walk in nature. Honestly, um, we live fortunately next to 500 acres of preserve land. And I would walk with people in there sometimes, but sometimes I I would just walk in the street with music and just to move. Um, or I'd walk with friends like on the street. And then when I got these dogs, it's like, oh, I got this backyard. I've got this trail. And I started walking with them. I'm like, this is amazing. And yeah, now it's a ritual. It's a great, I mean, it's it's amazing for them. It's necessary for them. They're they're like little kids. I mean, that's the that's the amazing thing about dogs. And I and I, I'm truly more of a cat person. If you were to classify it, I I'm gonna stop classifying because I think that's mean. But I mean, I was a cat person for so many years because I I I did I kind of categorize that as like, I don't think I could live without a cat, but I lived many years without a dog. Uh, but now I'm like, I don't know if I could ever live without a dog. I mean, <laughs> um, but the dogs get me out of nature. I walk in nature and they, I see them play. I see that they have this um, peaked curiosity and just joy every single day. They're just as excited. It's like, it's like Groundhog Day. Oh, I've never done this before. And I'm, they have the enthusiasm and zest and they have this explorative um, kind of nature. And so I just am out there with them and it feels like, it feels like godlike, you know, godly. I remember my mom said, you know, you don't have to go to a church to believe in God. You can go out, out in nature. And that's exactly it. I feel like I'm going kind of to church every day. Yeah. And it's beautiful back there. And for people, I mean, you know, she shares little snippets of it on Instagram. But let me tell you, <laughs> the first time that I went back there, she was like, oh, well, we can just walk and talk. Um, I'm going to just walk the dogs. Do you want to come for a walk with us? And I'm thinking like, yeah, sure. Like I walk my dog around the block every day. And um, it was like six miles later, like hiking style. And I'm like, oh my God, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> and, like, and Laura's um, walking pace is more like a, like a light jog maybe for me every 10 steps. So I'm like, yeah, this is not what I was anticipating, but um, it's really beautiful. It is really beautiful. It's special. It's really special. It has, it has I think there's like nine little bridges and every bridge and I really feel this way every day. And this is where I know I'm a big kid at heart is every time I cross the bridge, I'm like, this is so amazing. I feel like a little <laughs> gnome here. It's So I think that's that's part of it. The woods and nature and dogs and all of it do is they just make you be amazed. They, 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 they continue the wonderment, which we need to have. Yeah, it's important. And mm-hmm. it gets you, I mean, it's, it, there's like, it helps you discharge some of the electromagnetic, oh yes. you know, right. crap that we pick up basically. Yeah, our daily of, life. people people need those rituals. Like yeah. some people take baths and they feel that in their bath, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, for me, it's walking in the woods. It really does it, and walking in the woods, and especially with my dogs, because I feel like we're all walking together, but having our own experience. 
And so it's just beautiful. <laughs> that is such a beautiful metaphor know, for this whole thing. I know. Exactly, right? We're all walking together and having our own experience. There you go, folks. Write that down. And on that note. Yes, I know. On that note. Beautiful. Um, well, thank you so much, Kristen. I loved being asked questions. It helps me direct uh, the content. And we'd love to hear your questions. So yes. um, we'll give you some ways of contacting us to send us your questions, what you'd like to hear about on the blog. Yeah. On the blog. On the, what is this? This is a live blog on the podcast. <laughs> this is a podcast, Laura. It's a podcast. So. Wait, yeah, I'm talking, right? It's not a blog. It's as, a podcast. As someone who used VHS tapes. And <laughs> I know, exactly. In this is all new to me. See, I am truly a child. Um, I, but thank you all for joining us. Um, be part of the movement. Keep moving. Keep grooving. We love you. Shake it all day. Namaste. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.